Welcome everyone. This is the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. I need to give credit to Ray Otis of Plundergrounds for today's episode title, and I need to give credit for the transitions to TJ Drennan. You can find both those on Patreon. Through the end of October, because I'm going to participate in the Audio Dungeon Discord's Arneson Month, I'm going to borrow a format from Tyler Mazza of A 20-Sided Life or The 20-Sided Life, 20-S-I-D-E-D, all one word. Go search for it. It's a good podcast. But so during the week, I'll have laser-focused episodes on one thing only. This episode will be focusing on designing a game. More specifically, what games I like. And hold on a second. If I lived further in the country, I wouldn't care if they barked like that all day long. But I do have neighbors close enough to hear the dogs, so I don't want to annoy the neighbors too much. Anyhow, for this initial episode of RPG Design, I want to talk about the games I like and the kind of games I'm interested in. So that way, when I ask questions and ask you guys to call in, and, and when I say guys, I mean guys and gals, but... You know, when I ask listeners to call in and give me feedback, you know kind of what I'm aiming at. So what kind of gamer am I? Well, let's look at board games. As far as board games go, I'm an Ameritrash player, not a Euro player. So Euro board games, for those of you that aren't familiar, tend to be worker placement games where you puzzle out your best move and puzzle out the best strategy for the game. In Ameritrash games tend to be games where you roll tons of dice and there's a lot of chance involved. Well, that I'm more in the latter. Beer and pretzels kind of games. Uh, that's kind of where I fall, right? I do like the idea of complicated games. So when we switch over to RPGs, I love tables. I love complicated tables and, you know, um, AD&D First Edition was what I grew up with and I remember and I really liked it. A lot of that was... Um, Gygax's writing, you know, you could sit there and read the DMG all day long, and they had all the neat tables in there, and his, you know, is the way he wrote. Um, but I enjoy the Black Hack. I enjoy DCC. I really like the idea of DCC, um, and the way that's built, and the aesthetic there for DCC. I, you know, that's that's my vibe. Um, Warhammer, you know, the Warhammer role playing game, especially first edition. Definitely, I you know, enjoy that. Um, I liked Role Master. I, you know, grew up with the Murps, right? And, um, and the Role Master kind of games. I, I really like that. Now that's a little heavier and that's where we get into that. It's neat conceptually, but I'm not sure how, you know, I, I'm not sure that that's my favorite kind of game, but I really like it conceptually. I, I like the mechanics conceptually, but on the table, it's lighter games tend to be better. And as I get older, I tend towards lighter games. So I tend towards, like I talked about before, I tend towards preferring careers over skills. I'd much rather say he's a sailor than have a character where I, where I pick a sailing skill and a climb skill and a... 
a navigate by the stars skill and a tie knot skill and a sew skill, you know, I would, I apologize for the you knows and the ums. I'm, I will endeavor to do better. Anyhow, I do prefer careers over skills. I, I like that simplicity. As far as dice mechanics, well, let's go to attributes. So I'm okay with six attributes. I'd be okay with eight attributes. But if it can be narrowed down to four, I think that might be ideal. So I may be looking at four attributes. I'm okay with secondary, primary and secondary attributes, like you see in some systems, where the secondary are derived from the primary. But I don't want to get too complicated in there. I don't want half of this and two-thirds of that and these two divided together times this. And I, I don't think all that's necessary, to be honest. I don't think you can distill it down too far, though. So you have systems like, I'll tell you what's a really neat. It's kind of a more, it's kind of a mix of board games, role-playing games, and mini, miniature war games. And that's the two-hour war games. So if you look at Ed's games, or two-hour war games, and they've come a long way over the years. His rules are still kind of complicated to read. They're much easier if you get somebody to teach them to you. And they actually work pretty darn good, but the rule, rules aren't always the best written. And, and I haven't read his latest stuff, but back in the day, like his, the original Legends of Arabia or Araby, that was tough to get through. And, and I love Ed's games, so I'm not picking on him, but he, some of his rules are tough to read through. But in those in that game... Your character has one skill, okay? They're um, the star rating, and that star rating or star power—well, star power was a sub was an ability, but that star rating was one through five, I think, or one through six, and it, and basically that's the only thing you roll against, and and you say so yeah that one one thing, and that's how you rated different characters. And what was neat about the two two hour war game system? I know I'm getting off topic here, but you didn't have control over total control over your NPCs and your and your hirelings and stuff. They had reaction tables, so you roll on the table, and depending how that roll goes, they might run off. And if you get in a firefight, you know that would trigger a roll on a reaction table. And so it, they really work well. If you like miniature war games at all, or like solo gaming at all, you owe it to yourself to to check out two hour war games. And they have free rule sets. You know, there's a fantasy set and a um, modern set that are free on their webpage, so go check that out. Anywho, I think one stat isn't enough, and I think even two stats. So you could have like a physical stat and a mental stat. Yeah, on light games, you can get away with that. I think longer campaign games, you're going to want a little bit more. Three would be your minimum, a uh, physical, a mental, and a spiritual. But I, I'm kind of leaning towards four to six attributes. I, I know I probably mixed skills and attributes a minute ago, sorry. But you, hopefully you're, you're following with me here. So I think between four and six attributes is probably good. Health might not be one of those. Maybe that's a secondary. Like, as I say, I'm okay with a couple secondaries. I, I like careers, so I'd probably give your character a chance for careers, and it wouldn't just be one, because personally, I like characters that are more developed. So I'd be cribbing off the Barbarian's Lemoria where you'd get, you know, maybe two to four careers where you've done a couple things in life before the, you know, the game starts. I don't think you need separate skills. I think careers would cover all that. You definitely could have archetypes, classes. 
I'm not against a classless game. And I, I, I'm, I could go either way. I kind of think if you're doing strict fantasy, I think there's something to be said for classes. If you're doing a more modern setting, if you're doing the Old West, or you're doing modern day, I really think your careers would do well enough. I don't think you need classes in addition to the careers. I'm agnostic on dice. I can go with a ton of different dice types, or I can go with one kind of die. It doesn't really matter to me in a game. I'm fine with using dice chain. I'm okay with using modifiers. I'm okay with just using advantage, disadvantage, and we'll discuss all that as we go forward. This episode's already getting a little bit long, so I think I'm going to cut it off here, and then I'm just going to dive into actual design mechanics next time, you know, beginning with how how to roll characters and, or, well, we'll see. But I, th- I'm going to cut it off here, and I, I'm going to end it with a, with a phone call from Ray Otis of Plundergrounds, who called in reference dice that you carry in your pocket, the ideal combination of which di- dice to carry in your pocket every day. So I had talked a few episodes ago about the minimum number of dice you carry, and he's going to give his thoughts on that. So we're gonna, I'm going to thank Ray for his call. I'm going to recommend you go check out Plundergrounds, and we will end the episode listening to Ray's thoughts about dice. Talk to you later. Arr, this be Ray Otis. Thank you for mentioning me Plundergrounds, and I like the booty you be unboxing on each episode. So you really got me thinking about this minimalist dice set and which two dice, if I was going to restrict it to two, would be the best to have. And I think you have to restrict it to two because there is both base 12 and base 10 in our dice, just like everything else in our lives. Our our clocks are divided into 12s, but we have 10 fingers on each hand. Uh, Well, (laughs) no, we don't. We have 10 fingers on our hands combined. (laughs) Hmm, I almost gave away my mutant status there, Um, which I think uh, the base 12 stuff can be traced all the way back to the Sumerians and probably earlier if we had the right records. But uh, base 10 is obvious based on our anatomy. Um, And so you got the 4, 6, 8, 12 run, which is in that, uh, you know, fractionals of 12. And then you've got D10 and D20, which are uh, um, factors of 10. And uh, D100, of course, also a factor of 10. So the fewest dice that you could carry around is it's really a different question than the dice that you actually want to have in your pocket. I'm not going to recommend this, but I think the answer is D12 and D20. You could, if you wanted, substitute a D10 for the D20. It's about the same difference either way. For a D4, you roll the D12, and 1 to 4 is 1 to 4. 5 to 8, you just subtract 4, and 9 to 12, you subtract 8. That's the way I prefer to do it. Some people like to stripe out the, you know, um, 1 one, two, three, four is one, five, six, seven, or uh, no, one, two, three is one, uh, four, five, six is two, etc. But I like to just subtract dice from themselves, if that makes sense. Uh, for a D6, you just roll a D12, and for a 7 to 12, you subtract 6. Uh, for a D8, D8 is always the tough one, by the way. That one is hard to model. Um, so I would roll the D12 and just ignore anything above a 9, or roll the D20 at the same time, and on uh, odds, it's one through four, and on evens, it's five to eight. 
That gets us 4, 6, 8, and 12, because we're working with a D12, of course. So how do you get the D10 and the D20? Well, that's pretty easy, obviously. You, you roll a, um, a D20 and ignore the tens column for a D10, and to get a D percentage, you do the same thing twice, and to uh, get it roll a D20, you just roll a D20. So we've got that. The thing we're missing is 2D6, and that's really awkward because you got to use the... Um, to, uh, the d12 twice and subtract six from it if it gives a result of seven to 12 each time so honestly what i'm keeping in my pocket is probably a d20 and 2d6 but that's just not it's frankly not as good as the d12 and d10 or d12 and d20 um uh, those are those are probably the simplest ones to carry around as if you wanted to try to simulate all the rolls One last thought, and you don't have to add this one if, if I'm going too long, but with 2d6 and a d20, um, to roll a d4, you just roll a d6 and ignore the 5 or 6, just re-roll it. Um, d6 is obvious, 2d6 is obvious. A d8 is really tough. I would roll the d20, ignore anything with a 9 or a 10, you know, so 9, 10, 19, and 20, and then just subtract the 10s column from anything else to get the 8, but that one's really awkward. Uh, d10, you just ignore the 10s on the 20. D% percent, you do the same thing twice. Uh, D12, you roll a D6, uh, 2D6, and one of them you designate as odd or evens, and so you get either a D6 or if it's if the second one is odds, or a 7 to 12 if the, if the second one is evens. And, um, and then a D20 is a D20. So that's pretty good other than the D8. Uh, that one's just going to be awkward. But a lot of the games I play don't use much D8 anyway. Thank you, Ray, for those thoughts. If anyone else has any thoughts on which dice to carry around your pocket or any other thoughts, send them in to me and I'll be happy to publish them. So the format I'm going to do through the end of October is the following. Mondays will be RPG design with the intent of having a game ready by the end of October or at least a .5 release that will be released in a zine format. Wednesday or Thursday will be the Arneson Month topic during October. And Saturday be the typical variety show with call-ins, unboxings, and a variety of other things. As always, the best way to reach me is just leave a voice message on the Anchor app, where you can reach me on the Audio Dungeon. Hey Jason, it's Jeff. One of the things that I dislike about most skill systems is that they assume that every particular skill is essentially just as useful in the game as every other skill because you only get one pool of points to buy them out of or one way to get them and that really doesn't reflect what the game is all about. Uh, so without some input from the GM on what skills would be useful, it's kind of a crapshoot if you're going to pick a skill set for your character that's really going to be um, work for that adventure or that campaign. So that's kind of why I don't, I don't like a ton of skills. I'd rather have some classes, but that's just me. That was Jeff from the T Tome of All Dooms, and thank you for that thought. Um, and that mirrors my experience of skill points. In fact, we skill systems, we just finished a game. It's 11.30 Sunday night. We just finished a game of ICRPG Blacklight, which is like a Delta Green game. And, you know, we developed our agents ahead of time, and there are skills involved, you know, in that hack of ICRPG. You know, you had different skills. And we came up with our individual agents and the skills without knowing the scenario. So some of the things we picked were useful, some weren't. 
And it, like like Jeff said, it's kind of a crapshoot. So we're going to close this episode with one more call, and that's going to be from our buddy Reyes. Hey, I'm inside a car wash, so this could get loud. Um, I agree. I think that classes were a form of the career system before uh, skills and skills got added to cover things that were outside of what you'd assume to be good at as a, a fighter or a thief or a cleric or a magic user. Um, and D&D, they got added at second edition, but in other systems, they came much earlier, like Call of Cthulhu. Um, they came up right away, and they were instead of classes, right? Uh, and so it's weird for me, I think, to have classes and skills. Uh, it's kind of like getting a, a, a double dip. So if you're a fighter and you train to be a fighter, how can you also have had a life as a sailor, right? Um, wouldn't you be a worse fighter if you spent half of your time training as a sailor? I don't know. Just Yeah, I think you're right about that, though. And I kind of prefer careers and class systems as skill stand-ins because they represent a whole penumbra of skills, and it's much, much easier to do at the table, I think. I've been trying to keep these under 15 minutes, but with Ray's last-minute call-in from the car wash, I had to include it. So thank you for your thoughts, Ray. As you can tell, careers beat skills. Ha, ha, ha. Just kidding. It's different strokes, different folks. But Ray just made my point more concisely and with bigger words. So with that, I'm going to let these ladies sing this one out, and I'll talk to you guys next time.